Welcome back to the Autism Annex podcast. I'm your host, John Andrew Slominski. If you take a brief moment to survey your social interactions in the past week, work, family, friends, maybe a nosy neighbor, you'll probably find a huge variety. Some are pleasant, some planned, others maybe not so much. In any case, they all boil down at their most basic level to just a couple of people trying to communicate their ideas and their needs with one another. Star Autism Support has spent a few years thinking about social learning and emotional regulation. And my guests today have been at the forefront of teaching and researching social communication for individuals with autism. The value of teaching social communication, especially in home and community settings, can hardly be overstated. Today, we'll have a conversation about Project Impact, my guest's specialized curriculum, and the ways in which further education on social communication can empower parents and caregivers of people on the autism spectrum. I'm grateful to welcome my guests today, Anna Dvorak and Brooke Ingersoll. Hi, I'm Anna Dvorak, a speech-language pathologist and co-developer of Project Impact. I provide direct services to children and families here in Portland, Oregon, and then I also train professionals internationally to work with families and parents um, and children to communicate their needs within their family and community settings. And I'm Brooke Ingersoll, and I'm the uh, other co-developer of the Project Impact Curriculum. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I'm a professor um, uh, in psychology at Michigan State University, where I direct the Michigan State Autism Research Lab. Welcome to both of you, and thank you so much for being here. Let's go back to the beginning of Project Impact, the coaching program you co-developed for parents and caregivers of children with autism and other developmental delays. What were some of the challenges you found in your research that led to this program, or even the gaps that you aimed to close with the curriculum? Yeah, so one of the challenges when we came to Portland together and started developing Project Impact that we found for families was access to services. So families had a real challenge being able to access services for their child and were often asked to wait six to eight months, which as a parent, when you know that there's something you want to do to help your child be able to communicate, waiting is not one of those um, areas. So how could we improve access to services? And one way is thinking about how could we get the parent involvement? And one of the things that we really noticed as um, missing in the community at the time was um, materials and strategies that could really support community providers to do parent training. So um, parent training had a really strong evidence base in the research um, and parent involvement in in services has been shown to be best practices, but on the ground in the community, we found very few providers who had the necessary skills to be able to do that. So one of the things we were really looking to do with Project Impact was to take what we knew about best practices, evidence-based practice in both in, uh, in the strategies that we chose to work with the children, but then also the whole process around coaching parents and, and put it together in a way to help support community providers to be able to do these types of services. So best practices do show that parental involvement is key. 
And so I'm wondering, what are the benefits of early intervention? And when do you recommend that parents start? Well, I think that, I mean, you know, we, we know from research and just personal experience that um, early intervention really sets the child and the family up for success. Um, so there's quite a bit of um, really important early social interaction that occurs um, that really lays that foundation for learning all sorts of additional skills. And so when you have a child that is missing some of those milestones or slower to acquire those skills, um, that actually can set them up for um, a number of challenges down the road. So the earlier we can get in and really build on those early yes. social communication skills and give the child a foundation for how to communicate, how to engage, how to um, really control their environment in a meaningful way, the much better outcomes that kids are going to have over time. And, yeah. and likewise for their families. Right. I mean, it's really creating those learning opportunities. So unless families are in child development, we don't really um, understand what the child is doing to communicate really from even, you know, zero to three months old and all of those aspects. And so if a child isn't yet initiating and responding, we're not, they might not have all those opportunities for learning earlier on, which will create greater gaps. And that's why it's really important to build that in from the beginning. If you'll forgive the oversimplifying question here, what is it about explicitly learning social communication that's so important for children with ASD? So that they can advocate for themselves, so that they can communicate, so they can get, you know, very in the very beginning, simplistically, it's so that they can ask for what they want and tell and communicate when they don't want things, because otherwise they're going through life. I mean, and I think of this as a parent with my children, you want your child to be able to communicate what they need and what they don't need at the basic level, you know, and then as it progresses to be able to engage in things that are motivating and exciting for them. And then later, of course, in life to build that independence too, to know how to navigate um, the world again, to become independent. And, and I think some of those skills, I mean, you know, for when, when children are developing, typically many of these skills just sort of, um, you know, develop so kind of quickly and in such an integrated fashion, it's kind of hard to even think about the idea that we would sit down and teach them explicitly. But when a child has a delay or has difficulty acquiring some of those skills, they really do benefit from some more direct, explicit instruction. And what we mean by explicit instruction is not necessarily sitting them down and, and teaching them, um, but really building on those natural opportunities that arise when the child is interested in something, when the child needs something, giving them some additional specific pointers on how to uh, communicate in a way that is likely to be understood by their partner and get the response that they want. How does a parent or caregiver get started with Project Impact? And what's that experience like? Yeah. Well, first, um, you know, when they contact a provider, there would be some sort of intake session to understand what the goals they have for their child. And then an explanation of the structure of the program, meaning what will be their involvement, what would be their role within therapy. So depending if you're using the individual or group format, um, in the individual format, letting them know that they would come to the sessions and the first couple sessions would really be spent developing goals for their child in the four areas that we target for social communication. So we're really spending the first couple sessions developing the goals for the child. 
And then um, we kind of have this co-development process where we're really taking what the parents' goals are for their child. And so there's a, a really nice process that we go through where the parent from the very beginning is brought in as an expert on their own child. So they're contributing their thoughts and their ideas about their child. Um, and then they're getting some feedback from the coach about some of the things that the coach understands about the child. And then they're really working together to kind of develop goals that are completely in alignment with what the parent's um, goals are for the child and what the child's current skills and needs are. And then they come to the coaching sessions where we systematically teach strategies one at a time to help the parent work towards these goals. And so we'll be explaining, okay, you know, for example, today you're going to learn how to follow your child's lead so we can get the engagement and motivation. Um, and we let the parents know they'll read about the strategy. We'll then give them a brief overview um, and then we'll show them how to use it. But the majority of the session will have them interacting with their child while we're providing um, feedback to them. And then having them practice. So we have practice plans that enable the parents to practice these strategies then at home and in their daily activities so they can report back to us what went well or what might be challenging so we can fine tune the use of the strategy for their um, individual child and family. And then the strategies themselves that we teach, um, I, I think if you think about packaging them together, um, there's a term people might have heard before called naturalistic developmental behavioral interventions or NDBIs. This is a general class of intervention strategies. It is a really lovely integration of developmental uh, interventions, communication science, and naturalistic ABA principles. So um, they learn a set of strategies that build on each other, starting with really helping build the child's social engagement. So the parent is taught how to um, sort of see the world through their child's eyes, follow into what their child's doing, join in their child's activity and connect with them that way. And then at the end, they're really taught how to put all of these strategies together during their daily routines and activities um, so that it becomes really kind of integrated in their normal day-to-day -day interactions with their child. So one aspect of Project Impact is that it's a naturalistic developmental behavioral intervention, a mouthful, or NDBI for short, which means, in part, a focus on things that the child wants or is interested in. Could you explain what that all means for teaching communication? No, I mean, I think that's a great question. So it is an NDBI, meaning that we are wanting to teach within the natural environment attend to the child's current developmental skills, you know, and then try to expand the complexity of the skills. So I think that they're more easily understood by multiple communicative partners. And I think you highlighted something very important in NDBIs, the child initiates the teaching episode. So we're not gonna teach the child an arbitrary skill, but it's like, say you're holding a cracker, they have to show you that they want the cracker somehow by looking at you or reaching towards it before you would try to teach them a more complex skill. As part of this progression towards more complex skills, you've outlined five pillars in the form of an acronym, FACTS for short. Focus on your child, adjust your communication, create opportunities, teach new skills, and shape the interaction. This unfolds beautifully for readers of your book. And for listeners, could you unpack these FACTS a bit. So we want to begin with focusing on the child. And that really, as Brooke was indicating earlier, really focuses on looking at what is the child interested in? 
And then how are they communicating on their own? So I think one of the challenges is that as adults, we often look at communication and think it's verbal. And so if a child's not verbal, then people think, oh, they're not communicating. But there's so many different behaviors that children use to communicate, whether it's body posture change, a slight change in the facial expressions, a gesture, you know, some sound. So it's really helping the family's parents to attend to what the child is doing and some of those nonverbal signs that might be indicating that they are communicating um, something so that we can start to build, you know, on getting that back and forth engagement and responding to those cues without having them have to do something else, you know. And I would say those strategies really fall very clearly in sort of the more developmental camp. So these are strategies that have come out of the developmental science literature, communication science literature. And um, so they really lay what we consider sort of like the foundation groundwork really of, get, of building that uh, social engagement and interaction where the child is then um, able to kind of learn to be able to take the next step, which is really trying to build initiations. And so that is sort of the next of a strategy we teach, which are called create opportunities. And those are ways of setting up the environment in natural ways to help encourage the child to be able to um, indicate that they want something. And, and the child may do that verbally, but they may also do that non-verbally. Yeah. And so the way I like to think about that is, you know, we really set the groundwork by getting the child engaged, but now we're going to maybe, you know, kind of adjust their environment a little bit so that they are able to have more opportunities to practice initiating in any way, whether that be verbal or non-verbal. Right. And then the sort of the, the next of the strategies, which are we call teach new skills, are um, based on naturalistic ABA strategies. So it's basically using um, prompting or cueing and rewards or reinforcement to really help um, guide the child to use a slightly more complex skill than what they're using on their own. So, for example, if you're, um, you know, if the child is playing a tickle game with the parent and um, is having a great time and laughing and smiling, then the parent might create an opportunity by just pausing the tickles. And then if the child indicates that they're enjoying it by maybe looking at the parent, then you might teach new skills by having the parent model a gesture or a word for the child to be able to use to indicate that they want more tickles. And so it's really gently shaping using um, prompts and, and, and rewards to help the child uh, use a skill that they're probably not able to use completely on their own. And then over time, we teach the parent how to fade those prompts so that the child is communicating or engaging or playing in that more complex way. Right. So if I'm playing the home game, so far we've got focus, adjust, create, and teach. Uh, am I tracking the facts here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I was just saying, just the, the last strategy is really what we call shape the interaction, where we're really helping the parent balance all of these strategies together and adapt them in the moment for what the child's doing. So if the child is um, really excited about something, we might have the parent, what we say, move up the pyramid and start using a little bit more, um, more of that, that prompting and rewards. And if the child is sort of disengaged or having a bad day, then we're really going, moving back down and really following into the child's lead to get them engaged again. And so it's really helping them sort of really apply how you can adjust the interactions slightly throughout the day. Yeah, depending on like what is the child's motivation, what's their mood, and what activity are you engaging in. And also, I always say parents should attend to their own mood. Mm -hmm. I mean, in thinking how much time do I have to follow through or some of those aspects as well as they're thinking about how they're going to move up and down the pyramid. 
You know, one of the strategies for parents that you cover in your book that I found really interesting and surprising, and I think maybe people may not think of intuitively, is imitation. Now, Brooke Ingersoll, I know you've done some extensive work in this area. How does imitation work as a parent and caregiver strategy? I, I actually really love all the strategies that are in Project Impact, and I think they each play an important role. But I do think imitation is one of those really um, powerful strategies that parents can use early on to connect with their child. Um, it's not a way that, I mean, parents do imitate their children naturally, particularly infants. Um, so, you know, you have, a, you have a newborn, you probably find yourself imitating some of your baby's facial expressions. Um, but you know, as kids get a little bit older, they're really oftentimes expected to imitate others and they don't have as much experience with being directly imitated, everything that they do, say, move. And and so I think it can be something that's very eye-catching for all of a sudden the parent to stop trying to get the child to do what the parent wants and does exactly what the child does. And I find that that sometimes um, for a parent who's kind of going through the program, like that might be the first time the child stops and looks at them. Mm -hmm. And that can be a pretty powerful tool. So I think it's one of those things that it, it underpins a lot of kind of building that space. And then as Anna said, once the child recognizes that somebody's paying attention to them, they get more opportunity to try out something new and maybe then they'll pay attention to someone else and maybe they'll try out what they're doing. And so it really does build that kind of back and forth us uh, sort of social communication yeah. exchange. And letting the child lead, yep. like it's a great way to let them lead if they also see, you know, that imitation of them and going back and forth. Reading your curriculum, you've been very intentional, it seems, emphasizing the importance of child-led teaching when possible. Yeah. The portion of your book on receptive language, though, changes focus somewhat towards adult-led activities. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, good question. I mean, we do try to keep it child-led so, so we're building the understanding of the directions. So say, for example, the child wants to go outside, we can give the direction, you can go outside, but you need to get your shoes first. But following directions can be challenging for children. And sometimes all children don't follow them, not because they don't understand, but because they don't want to. And unfortunately, there are some things like perhaps, you know, going to the dentist or the doctor, or, you know, taking a bath, or, you know, brushing your teeth that we might have to engage in. And so with those following directions, we're trying to set up ways, then yes, it is adult-led, because the child needs to complete something, really, for their health or well-being, but they don't yet realize that. Um, and so the parent needs some strategies to be able to help the child follow through. And so we do that um, by giving the parents cues to help the child, follow through, and then the child has some sort of reward um, for it. If it's not self-motivating for them. Right. Yes. All, I mean, kids, all, I all mean, people have to do some things that are not really what they want to do. And so that's when those, you know, other things come into yeah. play. I mean, and that can happen as you get older, you know, thinking about, you know, older children cleaning up their room. Well, why if nobody's, you know, going to come in it or, yeah, some of those aspects. So building in some of those tasks that I think we all have, you know, that we don't necessarily want to do, but until they're in their later 20s or 30s and have the executive function skills to understand sort of why, um, then we're, you know, helped 
Method strategy. I, I will say the one thing that I mean, although it those that aspect might be a little less child directed because sometimes, as I said, sometimes there's things kids aren't choosing to do on their own, um, putting away their toys. Um, you know, it's time to get ready for bed. Um, I can tell you, my children don't like to do that. Um, but we really do try to teach those direction follow the direction following within meaningful routines. So we don't try to target um, sort of following directions for the sake of following directions. It's really following directions within the context of, you know, activities of daily living. Yeah. And I always tell parents, even if we're not 100% sure of a child's comprehension level, I always like to assume some sort of understanding. And so I explain why. Like, I know you don't, you don't want to pick up your toys. We need to clean up your toys so I don't trip over them. You know, but giving them, starting to build that understanding so they don't, um, so it doesn't seem as arbitrary and giving them the reasoning, I think it can expand language too. Going back now through more than 10 years of Project Impact, what are some of your most fulfilling moments? Ana Dvorak, let's begin with you. I mean, I can think of so many, and I was going to say one of the most rewarding things is you are helping. I mean, it's like so many of the kids that you work with, just this excitement when you're showing up to interact with them and then seeing them be able to ask for things when they want them or say when they don't want something and then having to see them be successful in school. Working with siblings is also wonderful. And so I think of this one time I had a brother come in and then for the first time, his brother with ASD said his name and it like, you know, brought tears, you know, of joy because he's learning how to like have this interaction. So I think seeing those connections and the joy between the family and the child as they're able to interact and communicate is awesome. And that's why I love as in addition to all the trainings, always working with families and children directly myself, because that's, um, the real joy and helping them be able to communicate. Brooke Ingersoll, same question as I asked Donna. What has been most fulfilling as you've seen students and families thrive in Project Impact? So I don't do as much direct work with families myself. Um, Much of what I'm doing now tends to be more on the kind of research end of things. But um, one of the things that I think is really um, interesting is some of the work we've been doing recently has involved qualitative interviews with families who've gone through the program. So, you know, interviewing them about their experience with the program, what did they notice? And one of the things that has been an incredibly important theme that we see parents saying again and again is, is a theme around, you know, my child wants to be with me. Like it really is about this moment where, you know, the parent is feeling connected to their child in a way that they have not felt before. And I think of that as not only is that so important in the moment, but how important that is for setting up the entire trajectory of their relationship over time. So I I see that when I think about sort of, you know, why are we doing this? We're doing this to sort of, you know, build that really important relationship from the very beginning so that not only is the child developing skills, but the the child and the parent and the child and the siblings are are really developing a a connected relationship that's gonna serve them throughout their, their life. Hi, podcast listeners. John Andrew Slominski here. You've been listening to my conversation with Brooke Ingersoll and Anna Dvorak, co-authors of the Social Communication Curriculum, Project Impact. Thank you both so much for your insights today. If listeners would like to know more about Project Impact, how can they find you? 
on our website, which is projectimpact.org. Oh, www.project-impact.org. Right. <laughs> Don't yeah. forget the dash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Punctuation is important. Thank you both. The Autism Annex podcast was developed by Star Autism Support. As always, I'm your host and producer, John Andrew Slominski. Special thanks to my guests for sharing their curriculum with us today, and to you for listening to this podcast episode. To learn more about Project Impact, visit project-impact.org. The curriculum is also available at starautismsupport.com. Countless schools across North America are starting back in the next month. We wish you all a wonderful new school year ahead. Until next time, my friends, take good care of yourself and one another.